Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing, and this is the 1853 podcast, a program in which we tell you about the people, events, programs, and history that make Monmouth an outstanding liberal arts college. In this seventh edition of the 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year, we'll chat with Monmouth Theater Professor Doug Rankin. Doug is directing Monmouth's first full play of the 2020-2021 season, An Enemy of the People. It opens October 23, and he'll preview it. There's a new group on campus dedicated to promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we'll hear from one of the group's co-chairs, Regina Johnson. It goes without saying that this is a trying time for live theater performances. But the very creative and innovative folks in Mama's theater department have come up with a great way to present their first full-length play of the season, Enemy of the People. Rather than being staged as a play, Arthur Miller's An Enemy of the People will be presented as a radio drama. A limited number of socially distant seats, about two dozen or so, will be available to purchase to enjoy the production live at the Fusion Theater, which is, of course, down on Main Street in downtown Monmouth. And you can also purchase a pass to watch it online. Just point your internet browser to monmouthcollege.edu slash theater, and that's theater spelled R-E, to purchase either a ticket to a live performance or to one online. Enemy of the People is directed by Monmouth Theater professor Doug Rankin. The play was written by Arthur Miller, but it was based on a play that was first staged in the late 19th century by Henrik Ibsen. Doug says the current political and cultural climate in the United States makes the 1950s enemy of the people a perfect play to produce. Well, it's about a doctor um, living in Norway, and he lives on a sort of a sea resort in the southern part of Norway. He's been sort of exiled working in the north of Norway for a few years, and he brings his family back. And they were very poor, but he comes up with the idea of opening a mineral springs um, in the in this resort area to bring lots of money to the town. He becomes wealthy because of it, and um, you know his family is finally a happy family with some kind of means. Uh, but it just so happens about that time he notices that people are getting sick. So he says, uh-oh, I better test the water. And when he finds out the water is poison, he has the dilemma of, do we tell people? Do we, you know, close it down? Do we, what do we do? And uh, that's sort of the, um, the plot of the play and the, the moral dilemma, which I think is um, very parallel to today's, um, you know, assault against the environment. Um, for the purpose of financial gain. As Doug points out, both Ibsen and Miller were no strangers when it came to political controversy. Ibsen's plays were, were banned at the time. They weren't even allowed to be uh, performed as um, some other realist playwrights of, of that period. Um, then, you know, Miller was 
he was right in the middle of the the whole um uh ban on, <laughs> on any kind of artistic expression um because of the the hearings um that were going on at the time and so you know he found it was a way of expressing his political views without um you know without setting himself up to be called a uh, you know, an actor against the state. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, just as I think in the earlier days, uh, poets and um, fairy tale writers and things like that used um, their art to um, go against, you know, the royalty or whoever the lawmakers were. Um, I think both of them did that, especially um, Miller was, you know, very prominent in the whole um army hearings and things like that that were going on that were so terrible to the art community an enemy of the people will be performed and presented in a way that meets the challenges presented by the pandemic when i first read the miller adaptation a couple of years ago i was excited because i am a realist as far as um my design sensibilities and my directing sensibilities i, I like I like doing realism more than fantasy. Um, and I was excited to do it, not only because it felt like it was right for the times, but because it was something that I haven't done in a long time in a format that the fusion would offer. Um, as a student here, um, I did some Shaw plays and things like that um, when we did them in a really small in the round theater up in what is now Pauling Hall. And the, just the contact we had with the audience was amazing. So it had been six years since Vanessa Campagna directed um, Frankenstein at the Fusion. And I said, it's time we got to do that again because it, that space just lends itself to that, you know, close up acting. Um, so I was all excited and ready to do it. Um, you know, very stripped down um, scenic wise and just people, it's about people and, relationships and thoughts and I couldn't wait and then this came along and not only were we you know kind of daunted by the number of seats we can have which we are trying to be as creative as we can but also this this play involves crowd scenes and in your face <laughs> yelling and spitting and things like that um, wasn't going to work too well so the only thing I could think of was changing it to a form of a radio drama which allows the actors to be separated um, a certain number of feet and using the audience's imagination um, to fill in, you know, the missing parts. And actually, I've, I think it's working well so far. Um, I, I really like the idea. We also haven't done a radio drama in about 10 years. Um, back then we did the War of the Worlds um, and it's fun for an audience just to see some of the conventions that were used in the thirties and forties in radio studios, you know, slamming an actual door and making sound effects with whatever you can find. So we're having fun with that. And we're going to use a little bit of projections just to kind of um, give a little bit of scenic elements to it, you know, just to kind of keep the audience from saying, Oh, I'm looking at a black wall for two hours, but. At first I was really worried. Uh, once we just started sitting around a table, um, it started to be fun. 
you know, um, we won't have the play memorized, which in a way takes away a little bit of the um, anxiety of our times because people are always anxious. They're not going to be able to memorize a long play. Um, but once, you know, you read it enough times, it's partially memorized and you really do become the character. So um, some of our actors are just, you can just see the smile on their face watching other actors um, turn those, you know, written word into actual characters even though we're just sitting at a table. Um, so I'm hoping that'll transfer to a, an actual live audience that hasn't seen it before. You're listening to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College, and I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. We're chatting about Enemy of the People, which will be presented October 23, 25, 29, and 31 at the Fusion Theater. It's also going to be presented online and the director is theater professor Doug Rankin. Although this production of An Enemy of the People might remind some audience members of the golden age of radio, Doug says the production won't look like a radio show staged in the 1930s and 40s. And one of the things, um, having done several radio dramas over the years here and in Galesburg and stuff, um, we typically tried to stage them in the 1930s or 40s costuming. Um, considered that for a little while here, but I just felt the story um, is a little bit more important than um, the period style. So it's going to be a little more of a formal production of people wearing just black and white and throwing on bits and pieces of costumes of the Victorian period and just sort of ignoring the radio part um, of the historical radio part because... Um, you know, this isn't really about 1930 or 1940. This is about all time. And uh, I just think it's going to work fairly well for what we have to work with. Doug says that the cast members of An Enemy of the People is an interesting mix. Some first years, we got some, uh, we got one adult, um, John Henderson from the community who's been in some of our other plays. And um, because we're doing another show almost concurrently, our actor pool was somewhat diminished. And because that play requires almost um, all women and this play requires almost all men, we had some difficulty um, in casting all the parts, you know. So, but anyway, it's working out well. Um, we're all kind of becoming an ensemble. We're helping each other with different ideas. And we can't wait to, um, probably tonight, we'll actually start moving from a table into the theater space to figure out, you know, who moves where, when, who sits, who stands. Um, how do we start making some of these sound effects and things like that. And Doug says that the play has given several Monmouth students an opportunity to take center stage. Uh, the guy playing the lead, um, the doctor, is played by Richard Iyer, and he is um, a senior um, he hasn't, over his four years, just the way it worked out, he really hasn't had a lead role. Um, you know, he's, he's been in several plays, but we think it's, it's a good time for him to actually have a lead role. Um, so he gets that um, spot. Um, we've got a, some young actors. Um, Kylie McDonald was in the uh, Christmas, the Christmas show last fall and she plays the daughter and we've got a freshman that just came in um, by the name of Zesty Lithgow or maybe it's Lithgow I can't pronounce it um, anyway she's great as the mother and um, some of the other 
um, ensemble or people you've seen before. Um, they're just all working together. Uh, one of my favorite actors in this is um, Connor Schmall, who has been a stage manager for me before, and he's done some bit parts, but he just, he's really good at character actors, and he plays the old curmudgeon father and also a drunk and a couple of other people. So he's really good as a character actor. That's Doug Rankin. He's a professor in Mama's Outstanding Theater Program, and he's the director of the Arthur Miller play An Enemy of the People. It will be performed October 23, 25, 29, and 31 at the Fusion Theater in downtown Monmouth, as well as online. To learn more about tickets to either the live performance or the online viewing, go to the theater department's website, monmouthcollege.edu slash theater, and that's theater spelled R-E. This is the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College, and I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. A new Monmouth group aims to help make the campus an even more welcoming, inclusive, and equitable place for all members of the college community. The Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Working Group, known as DEI, was formed earlier this year with the purpose of moving the needle forward a little bit more aggressively in the ways of diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives on campus. The group was formed and created by Monmouth College President Clarence Wyatt. DEI builds on the efforts of All of Us Bettered Together. That was a group formed about five years ago to promote campus diversity efforts. DEI is made up of 11 individuals from all areas of the college. Regina Johnson, the college's Director of Multicultural Student Services, serves as the co-chair of the advisory group. The other co-chair is Jake McLean, who's the college's Assistant Director of Leadership Development. Regina says the DEI Working Group has some ambitious but attainable goals that will make a difference for all students on campus. I am super excited and I think most people that have the original members of the group that are still with us and the new members of the group that just have joined us, um, I think everyone is um, in concert that there's some structure changes that were not necessarily there with all of us together. Um, Not that all of this together wasn't a great stepping stone, um, but this group has forged forward with a uh, chart. Regina says that the DEI Working Group's goals cover all facets of students' lives on campus. In that rollout in regards specifically to the strategic plan and how it equates to um, equitable practices on campus and inclusive practices on campus um, include making sure that we're examining our physical and psychological spaces for our students. That's important. What are we providing? Are are we meeting their expectations as far as their um, physical and psychological safety? Um, and, and, you know, that, that means a lot to our underrepresented populations, um, as well as our majority students. What are we doing to provide for them? Um, another um, area in our strategic plan is uh, improving um, training, 
both on the faculty and staff side, um, building a very specific set of cultural competencies that we hope that we can achieve both as a larger campus, both via our students and our staff and faculty, because um, cultural competencies are, are important. Um, another action area or strategy that we have within the strategic plan is analyzing and assessing um, what we are doing in the way of mentoring, advising, and counseling. Um, are we providing the needs of our students um, or are we meeting the needs of our students in the way in those three areas? You know, do we have mentoring programs that are supporting, um, you know, different aspects, different identities, intersectionality of our students? Are we creating an advising model that allows for transparency um, that overlaps with both the curricular side and, and the co-curricular side. You know, we talk about holistic advising, but are we actually doing it? So, um, you know, and counseling is a big one. Our counselors are booked. So, you know, what are, uh, what are things that we can do to provide better support in the way of counseling services for our students um, and have our counselors involved in that discussion? and to move things forward. So I feel like the diversity, equity, and inclusion working group that we have right now, um, we very much are, want to be action-oriented and show some progressive goals both internally and externally. You're listening to the 1853 podcast, and we're talking to Regina Johnson. She's the co-chair of the college's diversity, equity, and inclusion working group. Regina says the DEI Working Group has several ways to measure the effectiveness of its programs and initiatives. Ways that we can um, kind of gain some metrics and know that we're doing things successfully um, are things such as when we are doing trainings um, and workshops, you know, are we doing evaluations and are we doing measurables, um, you know, against uh, CAS standards, um, you know, for, you know, like this, but very specifically, I'll use the student affairs side, you know, are we, are we measuring things against our standards that have been set by, you know, um, kind of the governance for us, right? And so if we can do that, and our students are at, you know, answering those of the evaluation questions successfully, you know, that they, that they've engaged in this, and that they've learned this, and, and, and are we moving that needle forward, you know, it's, it's like having standard learning out comes and goals, right? And so we have to take some of those measurables. Um, the other thing that I think of when we talk about, you know, building cultural competencies for both staff and faculty, I think, you know, is that going to be something we can measure immediately? Well, sure. We can measure the completion of maybe online trainings, but it's going to be one of those that's going to have to be measured over time um, and that we are going to have to set a, a standard. Regina says that the membership of the DEI working group, the group's focus, and the college's support of the group's work gives her a lot of reasons for encouragement and hope. Well, I'm excited for this group for a couple of reasons. Um, I think the, member, the members that are all on board right now want to be doing the work. 
Um, and I think that that's imperative. If we are going to move the needle as far as uh, providing equitable and inclusive spaces for all of our students, um, I think that you, you have to have people that are willing to do the work. It's not just, hey, I volunteered you, and, and I think that you should be you know, part of this committee. It truly is a group of 11 people that are committed to changing things on campus. That in itself, you know, the, the competitive athlete in me, that changes the game, you know? It just changes the game. When you have 11 people that wanna be doing the work together, even if all 11 of us come from a different background and subset or, you know, that shows commitment. And, and so this is not easy work, it's hard work. I think we as an institution can definitely vouch for that. It's hard work. <laughs> so, you know, I am excited. I'm excited because of the group. I'm also excited because we have concrete things. Um, you know, the fact that we have a working strategic plan that we're trying to build actionable items around. I also think, you know, President Wyatt has been very supportive. I mean, if anything that the last six months of civil and social unrest has taught us, we all have to be better. Um, every single one of us. And, uh, you know, and, and I mean that, you know, without trying to take a political stance, I, I, at this stage in the game, I don't care how, how far right or how far left you are, you know, we, we got to do better. And so I just, I really feel like um, the members of the committee are, are all at that juncture. We want to do better and we've committed to want, wanting to do better. And so it makes me excited. That's Regina Johnson. She's co-chair of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Working Group. Regina, who's the college's director of multicultural student services, is co-chairing the group with Jake McLean. He's the college's assistant director of leadership development. You can read more about the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Working Group in the News and Events section of the new and much improved Monmouth College website, Monmouth College. And that's going to be a 30 for this seventh edition of Monmouth College's 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year. I hope you enjoyed this program. Tell us what you think by firing off an email to us at news at monmouthcollege.edu. Be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Until our next edition, this is Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody. Have a nice day and stay healthy.